The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yeah, one game has already started, but it's Saturday. It's the 30th of our 31 straight shows. Tomorrow we finish it off, and then November starts with a Monday. And I thought about it last night. I thought, well, you know, you could take Monday off, Dan, because you did 31 shows in a row. But can you really not do a Monday episode of Fantasy NBA Today? That almost feels, almost feels like sacrilege. So we're probably going to do 36 shows in a row. What a moron. I know. But whatever. We're having a good time. We're figuring things out. We're making nice pickups. Come on, the Ricky Rubio grab? That one's looking great so far. Actually, far better than I ever expected. I don't feel like we really should take that much credit other than to say, that's interesting. And then I feel like we maybe got a little bit lucky. But whatever. We'll take it. Good Saturday to you all. This is Fantasy NBA Today. You probably know that. I'm guessing you clicked on the show title on purpose. I don't know. Maybe it was by accident. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. You can follow me, nay, should follow me on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. I'd love to chat with you over there. I'm trying to keep things pretty fresh on social media these days. I'm trying to come up with something new and interesting to do on a daily basis that is either fun, illuminating, or both from a fantasy standpoint. And I think we've done okay with that so far. So again, that's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from Hoopball. I want to kind of just get straight down to business because we all have a, a whole bunch of things to do on this Saturday. News of the morning when it comes to injury stuff. Chuma Okiki, probable for the Magic game coming up in about an hour and a half from the time of recording this podcast. So that's interesting. Very much something to keep an eye on. He could end up as a pretty useful fantasy player. I don't want to be, like, it's very easy as an analyst to say, yeah, you got to go stash him right now and then take credit for it later. I don't think any of us really knows what his gig's going to look like, but he is definitely going to chop into the minutes of Franz Wagner at the very least. They could end up splitting some time, though. I don't know. My guess is that, and this is, again, really more reading the tea leaves than anything else, my guess is that Okiki does end up with that starting small forward job his stat set is good but not great he'll hit some threes good steals guy I don't think he's going to be a high enough usage player even on this Orlando team that's a bit devoid of anybody who actually wants to do stuff on offense I don't think he's going to be quite a high enough usage guy to climb inside the top 100 this year in nine cap but it'll be close He's probably going to end up somewhere in that 120 range where, you know, a good two weeks could actually move that needle across the 100 mark. Still, I believe he profiles a little bit more as a streamer, but absolutely positively keep one eye on that. That's a big piece of news going into this evening that could shake things up just a little bit. Brandon Ingram is doubtful, hurt his hip apparently late in the Pelicans game last night. He is doubtful for this uh, it's a game against the Knicks, who should beat up on the Pels, but now you start to wonder if this is a little bit of a letdown game. Remember, the Knicks had that fantastic game with Chicago, and I was looking at this board like, I want to bet the Pels with all of my heart, because this, le- this is the letdown game for New York. But now, Ingram doubtful. Can the Pels 
really even keep this thing close? Jonas Valanciunas versus the world? Christoph Porzingis is questionable for tomorrow. That's Sunday's game. Malcolm Brogdon, doubtful for tonight. So I know he's looked a little bit, as Bruce said, drunk. TJ McConnell has, but I think you got to roll him out there when he's the starting point guard. At some point, it's going to click. Whatever it is. He's just sort of out of sorts right now. Bam Adebayo, questionable, although he was questionable in the last one, and then he was a monster. Daniel Gafford is out. That game's already started as of right now. Time Lord out in the game that already started. Marcus Smart out in the game that already started. The, the only things we can pull away from that stuff is, first, we knew Time Lord, this was an illness. That, that's, we knew he was going to miss a couple of games this year, but I think it's more important to note that this one is not related to any sort of bodily thing going on. That's actually good news as far as injury front stuff. And then on Daniel Gafford, uh, the quote coming out of Washington was that he's showing improvement, but he's not there yet. I saw him dropped in a couple of spots, and that's not a good decision. If he gets dropped, you use your waiver priority on that. He was number 80 before the half game that he played when he suffered his quad injury. If he plays that full game, he probably still basically sitting at number 80. It's just that nobody really knew what they were getting into, apparently. That's the only conclusion I can draw from this. Because when we talked about what Daniel Gafford was going to be this year, I think, well, maybe not other analysts, I don't know. But I know here at Hoopball, we were pretty clear that this is a guy you were drafting for his insane efficiency, meaning as a big man, not a terrible foul shooter, and has the chance to go completely buck wild uh, from with his field goal percent and then rebounds and shot blocking. It was never going to be like explosive scoring type of stuff and really not even all that much explosive rebounding, frankly. It was always going to be explosive field goal percent and defensive stats. And then people just sort of, I don't know, they they thought they were getting something that they that they weren't. But there's this intense distaste for Gafford right now, despite the fact that if you wipe out, again, the game where he only played seven minutes before getting hurt instead of his typical, like, 21-22, he was right on point. Shooting 71% for the year, free throws at 73, so not killing you there. 0.8 steals, two blocks. And he was higher than that, again, before the injury game. So I don't, I, I just, I think people just... They didn't know what they were buying into, which was a 22-minute guy who was probably going to do something like what he did in 20 minutes at the end of last year, and then the hope was maybe a little bit better than that. I mean, look at what his games, look at what he did in the playoffs last season. Maybe that was the barometer. 12 points, six boards, a steal, two blocks. That was always going to kind of be your target with him. And the fact that he was at about like 10 and 5 before the injury game, he wasn't far off. The defensive stats were right there. He was just down a shot from the field. His usage was down a little bit. This is all to say, if he was dropped, pick him up. If he wasn't, buy low, because someone's probably annoyed right now and not really making a ton of sense in their level of annoyance. It's just a misunderstanding by, I think, a lot of the general public on what they were getting into. 
Uh, Terry Rozier upgraded to probable for tomorrow's game. That's a that's really great because I have Rozier in a bunch of spots and it's been super annoying. He came into the year hurt basically and then hurt the other side. So this will be nice. Hopefully this will be the start of him settling back in. Looking back on last eve, a Friday night, it was a, a medium-sized Friday, and Fridays can get relatively large. There were only seven games yesterday. This is the big one. It's actually Big Saturday this week, so we'll have some homework assignments coming up a little bit later in the podcast. But we're kind of going lightning round today. want to get you guys in and out and back on with your day. And the whole point of these weekend shows, at least the original point was, there was so much stuff to cover leading up to your fantasy draft, we wanted to have two extra shows each week, but then I'm an idiot, and I sort of didn't plan the calendar out right, and I already said this before, we're going to do 30 shows in 30 days leading up to draft season next year, basically leading up to opening night. This is a little bit of a dumb exercise, but we're doing it anyway. It's basically like, look, we're not going to have to do a Monday recap anymore for a couple of weeks because big things happen at the beginning of the season. There's always a reason for it. We just fall a little less far behind. Toronto beat Orlando 110-109. Cole Anthony is on a serious run right now. Um, you know, we had that first big game, and I think I said something like, eh, he's generally a points league guy. And then he had another big game, and I thought, uh-oh. And then he had a third big game, and we finally said, all right, fine. You can ride him in category leagues as long as it keeps rumbling like this. And uh, it kept rumbling like this. Jalen Suggs even played well in this one. His, You guys know already from just the first week and a half, that it's going to be up and down for Jalen. He's a guy you could probably buy low on, I don't know, maybe in a month. And then you don't have to squat on him quite as long as someone else might have had to. Mo Bamba, another big ball game, 14-18, three blocks. We need hipster cred on Mo Bamba here on Fantasy NBA Today. Talking about him since the moment he split that timeshare with Wendell Carter Jr. in March of last year. Nobody believed that it was going to keep going. Everybody said they gave Wendell Carter Jr. the contract. It's all locked into place. By the way, Wendell Carter Jr. has been better than expected so far, largely because he's playing starters power forward minutes right now while we all wait on Jonathan Isaac. I still do think that this situation gets a little bit funky when Isaac comes back. But even at that point, we know Bamba has the profile, the fantasy profile to sustain he played 39 minutes, which, by the way, is just asking for him to be hurt again. But he can do it in 20-something. Wendell Carter Jr. can't really. We've seen that. He doesn't really sustain it in 20-something. And then, as we just mentioned, Shumo Kiki coming back. That's really going to muck things up at the small forward spot as well. On the Toronto side, Scotty Barnes, another big ball game. Wow, he's been something else. No other way to put it. Gary Trent Jr., much like Cole Anthony, has been better than expected in category leagues. I, he's a guy I took a flyer on, actually, in a number of spots with my last round pick. And I'm not a Gary Trent Jr. fan. You guys know that about me just from a fantasy standpoint. But when he was still on the board at, like, 155, I thought, all right, well, look, how many starters that shoot are still on the board at pick 150? And he was kind of the only one left. Now... For the moment, his steal rate is floating him. He's at 2.7 steals per ball game. That's not a sustainable number. I had a Twitter conversation. Somebody was like, yeah, somewhat sustainable. I was like, well, no, I don't know. Probably not even somewhat sustainable because he's not a, he's not a, a bad steals guy. 
Now, in 17 games with the Raptors last year, he averaged 1.1, which is fine as a starter. 1.1 will get the job done. He's at 2.7 right now, even if you think that the rate goes up, which it often does because Toronto plays something of a gambling, helter-skelter, recover type of defense, which is going to lead itself to more steals than you know a team that plays really good position defense like maybe the Knicks or something like that. It's not going from 1.1 to 2.7. It's almost definitely not going from 1.1 even to 2. So he's going to have a game... He's going to have a week. He's going to have two weeks here coming up where he gets like one steal in five games and it'll level off. And we won't even really notice that it happened because he got so many here to start the year. At that point, he probably trends back towards the edge of the top 100 because right now, without that crazy steal number, then he's really more like a top 90, 95 kind of guy. But I mean, that's still pretty good for someone that we took at 150. Freddie Van Fleet got off to a just an, an atrocious start in this ballgame. He saved his line with a good fourth quarter. Thank goodness for that. OG Ananobi having issues putting the ball in the bucket right now, but otherwise it's been a pretty good start. And then a couple of things that were a little bit more interesting yesterday. Um, Precious Achua got only 21 and a half minutes. Just a little over, eh, a little under that. Eight and six. He's, he's basically shown himself to be a rebounding specialist, more or less only and starting to make some of those young player mistakes that are often covered up by by pure, unabated energy. But as the season goes, you just don't have as much of that. So Kem Birch saw a little bit extra time yesterday. And then Chris Boucher, the guy that everybody wants to talk about right now, because of his, his clunky start to the year, he got up around 18 minutes, which was actually generally pretty good, because he only played six in the first half and got close to a dozen in the second half of the ball game, finished with nine and four, a three pointer, and two steals. If he makes his two free throws, this actually ends up as a pretty good ball game for him. That would have been eleven and four with good percentages, and you can tell he's really trying to do the right thing at the moment. There is the question of where do his minutes come from when Pascal Siakam comes back? I'm actually not convinced that Siakam doesn't give Boucher a better avenue to minutes because he just pairs better with as basically as good as they can be offensively, then you're you're effectively at that point five out. You can really open things up. Right now, when you've got Kem Birch or Precious Chua on the floor, you can't really open things up the same way. And so it makes it really hard to play a Chris Boucher uh, because he can spread the floor a tiny bit, but he's not going to do the things that they want him to do on the other side. He's stuck playing a little bit out of position. Our good good friend of the program, Josh Millman, actually put out a stat a couple days ago noting that some of the Raptors' best lineups last year were Boucher and Siakam at the same time. So I don't know that anything is set in stone, and I'll offer the same explanation again that we've done a few times already, which is basically now, um, if you're dropping him, who are you dropping him for? I really, I get it. I know that it's fashionable to just punt on a guy after a week and a half. But, I don't know. Like, everybody's so willing to squat on rookies playing 16 minutes for half a year. These up-and-coming whatevers. I I think the difference here is that things don't look as pretty. It's not like a rookie at 19 years old where the role is going to grow. But what we do know is that he was at 18 minutes last night. 18 minutes is a top 100 iteration. 
of Chris Boucher. 20 minutes is basically top 75. 24 minutes is top 40. We've seen, we've seen the path for him. He only needs 18 minutes to be, fantasy-wise, as good as most of the dudes you'd be picking up on the wire. If he consistently gets nine minutes, absolutely, you punt that into the sun. But if he's really going to get a dozen in the second half, and if his first half minutes trend up from six to nine or 10 or 11 or 12, and we start to get over 20, he still has the makings of that guy. Don't, don't be the, the team that drops the guy that ends up being the waiver wire pickup of the year. Don't be that guy. You'll never forgive yourself. You'll never forgive yourself. And I get it. There's still a much larger than non-zero chance that it doesn't work out. But I can pretty much promise you that if you're out there and you're like, Dan, should I drop Chris Boucher to pick up Patty Mills three days ago after he hit five three-pointers? I'd be like, okay, what's a best-case scenario for Patrick Mills? Top 110. With a couple of weeks where he goes top 75 mixed in there. What's a best-case scenario for Torrey Craig after a big ball game yesterday? Or even a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith. I know the whole Mavs team was terrible, but I'm still like generally fairly bullish on him because of how many minutes he's going to get. Best-case scenario for these guys is top 90. You're not missing out on anything other than people are like, well, you could turn it into a streamer slot. Yeah, I, I mean, you got someone else on your team. I'm, I'm almost positive of it. You have someone else on your team that has no upside. You could turn into a streamer slot. So just hang on to the, the home run bat just in case. Because if you drop the home run bat and someone else picks it up and whacks one out, you'll never forgive yourself. Indiana lost at Brooklyn. Malcolm Brogdon missed that ball game. And, and again, TJ McConnell just looks off. He played 33 minutes, and that should be way more than enough for him to go top 50. But it's just not there yet. I don't know why. Can't shoot right now. Missed his free throw. Missed his shots. Had his two steals. So that was something. Only four assists, though. There's just something not quite clicking with him. And one of these games, it will so I'm definitely holding on McConnell, especially right now. James Harden, 19 free throws. That switched in a hurry, didn't it? We were all complaining about how he was shooting three per ball game. It didn't last. Harden now up to number 26 in nine category leagues. And he's still shooting 37%. He's right on his way, friends and confidants. He's on his way. Window closing. LaMarcus Aldridge had 21-8, and eight, but I can't bring myself to care. He, he's done this now twice. First time I was like, oh, hey, maybe he could be something in a, in a games cap format because he's getting all these rest days. And now, no, just, yeah, don't even bother. It's not worth it. Charlotte got beat by Miami, but I think a lot of teams were going to be saying that about Heat are good this year. Tyler Heroes made a, a jump forward. He's shooting out of his mind, and his volume is out of his mind. So a lot of this stuff is going to come back to earth a little bit, but you got to ride that hot high end. I, I still think he's a really fun sell-high candidate because of all of the reasons that I just list. I mean, he's averaging like 18 shots a game. His usage is crazy high. Victor Oladipo is actually hanging out somewhere, month and a half, whatever it is. So there's this thing... That's looming out there. And then Kyle Lowry actually doing something is also a factor that could impact Tyler Hero. Meanwhile, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, so good. He's number five in nine category leagues. After a bad ball game to start the year, 
Now he's at 25-7-5 and with three steals a game. And this is why I said, I'll take Jimmy Butler at the end of the first round. I have him in many a spot. I have a bunch of combinations of Bradley Beal, Paul George, and Jimmy Butler. And Beal's the one of those that's not working out that great so far. He'll come around. But Paul George is number three and Jimmy Butler is number five. I think Butler was on RD bombs, wasn't he? I don't know if I put Paul George on there because he, he ended up moving so far up the board that kind of smoked a lot of the value. Adebayo, 26 and 19, two steals, one block, great percentages. Five turnovers and only two assists. That's the weird thing. I know everybody's freaking out about the assists on Bam. He's up to number 37 now, however, on a per-game basis. And he's questionable for another one. But he hasn't missed one yet. And we know he very rarely does. He'll play through everything. And, by the way, he's still he's number 37 while he's sitting on one steal and .4 blocks per game. So not only do I think the assists trend up towards three as the season gets going and, and this team sort of figures out what they are on offense, but we know the steals and blocks are coming up. And it seems like he wants to take more shots this year, which is, well, that would be wonderful news if indeed it turns out to be true. For Charlotte, we already talked about Terry Rozier coming back. So uh, Kelly Oubre, who I streamed on the day he was terrible and sat on the day he was good, will basically go back to not being a massive factor. LaMelo Ball, down to number 34 on a per-game basis. And I don't want to say that I feel vindicated right now, but I did tell y'all that he wasn't going to keep up what he was doing those first few games where he was shooting like 56% from downtown. That's just not who he's going to be. Still hasn't missed a free throw, by the way, this year. So that probably is going to get worse. I had LaMelo Ball in the 40 range for this season, and I'm pretty sure I was the only person saying it. And I'm going to keep repeating it, whether I was right or wrong. But right now, I'm looking more right than wrong in the early going. Very early going. So we're not rolling out the Mission Accomplished banner or anything here. Uh, good news out of the, on the P.J. Washington front. Came back from his knee stuff. Played 22 really good minutes in this ballgame. He's going to be fighting with Mason Plumley for the foreseeable future. But he's the guy among those two, at least, that has a little bit more upside. This buys him some more time. It's similar to the Chris Boucher thing. Whatever you're dropping him for, that guy's just not as interesting. Even if P.J. Washington turns out to be a clunker, we'll know in a couple of weeks. Just chill. Sacramento's an easy team to handicap right now. Four starters and Buddy Heald. Roll them out there, take what you get. Where's Halliburton now? Where'd he fall? Where is he at? 57? He's basically at his ADP and he hasn't even started shooting the ball yet. All right, that'll be fine. Jonas Valanciunas, monster, a man among boys. Number 14, he's a sell high. Much as I would love to just ride Jonas Valanciunas as long as this goes, if you can get a second rounder for him, you do it. I doubt you can. If you can get a third round for, for him, um, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't be that surprised if he ended up in the early 30s this year. I had him, I think, around 40, which is still well ahead of his ADP. And you know we were very high on JV. At hoopball in general, he's a, he was a big hoopball guy this year. Everybody knocked him down a bunch of pegs with the trade to New Orleans, and I was about ready to do that too. You guys might remember this if you listened in the offseason, the show where I was like, well, let's see what Steven Adams did last year. And then I was literally surprised on air when I noticed that Steven Adams had played close to 30 minutes a game last season because it didn't feel like it. He was out there basically not doing anything for the Pels. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess you know maybe they can give JV 30 minutes a game. And, of course, his usage is going to go down as this team goes back to being healthy again. But will they be healthy? 
This feels like a lost season already for the Pels, and we're only a week and a half in. In any event, with Brandon Ingram now doubtful and Josh Hart back, we've gone full voodoo doll style on this team. I think when Ingram returns and Hart gets back up to full strength, you're going to see Nikhil Alexander-Walker kind of wear it a little bit. You'll see Devontae, Devontae Graham drop in usage a little bit as well. JV probably won't take the hit until maybe Zion shows his face, but we don't know what that's all about either. He's said to be reevaluated soon. For the short term, at least, Alexander Walker, despite all of his massive deficiencies, he's still very much a guy you need to start, especially now with no Ingram out, because there just isn't anybody else besides JV, Graham, and Nah that are going to do stuff. Once this team's healthy, I think Alexander Walker's the first one who kind of falls off. Then it'll be Graham, potentially, who's someone I really only targeted in points leagues anyway. And then I think JV's going to be just fine. Although, again, he's a sell high. He is. He's a sell high, much as I don't want to. But the problem is, I don't know that anybody's going to take him at his current price. So you might just be stuck riding out the JV thing, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Denver beat Dallas 106-75. This game was over by halftime, so you can pretty much throw it in the poopy garbage bucket. Nikola Jokic and Will Barton were the only two players on either team that did enough to become fantasy relevant for a night because nobody had to play all that much. Dallas was terrible, top to bottom, absolutely horrible in this ballgame. Just throw it all out. We're not going to try to read too much into it. They were just bad. Just bad. And for Denver, Jokic and Barton did enough. Nobody else needed to. They tried to get Michael Porter Jr. a bit more involved in the first half. He took 11 shots before halftime, only took one in the second half. Still can't get him to drop for whatever reason, but they're gonna. He's one of the easiest buy-low wrecks I think we've ever given out on this podcast because everything with him right now is tied into that field goal percent. He's number 128 because he's shooting just 36%. And then it was like, well, is he is he less involved? And the answer is not really. He took 13 and a half shots per game last year. He's at 13 this season, and he would have easily been at 13 yesterday if not for the blowout. But he's not getting to the free throw line so far, and nothing's going in. He's also assisting better than last year. He doubled it from 1.1 to 2.2. His steals are doubled up, although he doesn't have any blocks so far. I mean, all that stuff's going to level off a little bit, but this is the easiest buy low of all time. When that field goal percent starts to equilibrate, oh my goodness. Clippers are a bit offensively inept beyond Paul George, who had 42 in yesterday's loss in Portland. Portland was our wager pass play. That one was for premium subs on the wager pass side, so that was a nice easy winner. Reggie Jackson cannot throw a stone in the ocean still, but he's getting all the chances money can buy. You kind of have to stick with it as bad as he's been. Now, the problem with Reggie Jackson is, you know, other guys who don't shoot the ball well can often make up for it in other ways. He doesn't really. He's points and threes and just the tiniest little touch of assists. So if the points aren't going the whole thing just explodes because no guards are getting to the free throw line right now, and he's part of that. He's taken five free throws in five ball games. I expect that to improve for him. I know the field goal percent is going to improve because as bad as everybody's shooting right now, Reggie's not shooting 31% for the season. Eric Bledsoe, I think, with this one has fallen back into sort of streamer department. It, it seems like maybe he just got off to this blistering start, although at the same time, 
He's got first crack at those shooting guard minutes, and we just need the Clippers to be more competitive from the outset. Here's what I didn't foresee and probably should have is that Luke Kennard and Nick Batum playing better has had a negative impact on uh, Terrence Mann and Eric Bledsoe to some degree. And right now they're still waiting on Marcus Morris and Serge Ibaka to come back. So bring those guys back, and everybody just sort of slides down the board, and it becomes Paul George and Reggie Jackson and whoever else is decent on a given night. And right now they don't have enough of those guys that are decent on a given night. I mean, really, Paul George had 42 of their 92 points. That's not a good ratio. Meanwhile, Damian Lillard, 25 points on 17 shots, so he's leveled off a bit for one, Nate. Uh, Rob Covington, 9-8, two steals, three three-pointers. That's his first productive game of the year, to be sure. Norman Powell came back from his knee injury. It looked like they were going easy on him. Played just 24 minutes where the other starters were in the 30s. I think you see Powell get back up into that range as well. But he responded fine from all we can tell. Hit four three-pointers. Got himself a block. Usually gets steals and free throws. If you got Norman Powell, that's a great sign. And the other guy we were watching on the Portland side was Larry Nance Jr., who got 16 minutes and had 10 rebounds in them and continues to be this incredibly productive force for the new team he's on. Uh, but they're not giving him the minutes we need right now. And when Covington plays better, that's actually worse for Nance because he's getting most of his minutes backing up the power forward spot with a smattering at center. I, I don't feel like I need to repeat the same thing every single day on the Nance front. He's a guy I'm also attempting to hang on to because I do believe Portland's going to figure this thing out at some point. Uh, but uh, you know your league better than I do. And if you drop him right now, probably nobody's picking him up. So, yeah, I mean, you like you could probably go get him when the Blazers start to figure it out. And the last game last night, you could tell this one was weird right from the outset because the Lakers are the public betting favorite in almost every single game that they play, and the Cavs were actually taking more public action on this ball game. Yeah, a lot of it was on the money line, but still, the simple fact that the a non-Lakers, non-Nets like type of team was taking money against one of those clubs, especially a team like Cleveland that nobody gives a crap about in the betting market. Sorry, Cleveland, who, who, by the way, Cavs have been fun. They're playing well so far this year. But just from a betting standpoint, they are not a public team. The fact that they were taking public money against the Lakers, you knew this was going to be a weird one. And sure enough, the Lakers were pissed about that OKC game. They sort of hung tough for a little bit while they were shaking off the rust of coming back home from a quick roadie. And then in the second half, Lakers offense just went just went totally bananas. They shot 55% for the game, and a lot of guys looked good. LeBron came back. He looked pretty good, despite the seven turnovers. Still way too many, but that's how it's going to be. Melo, 24 points on 12 shots. He's very much a points league option right now. Anthony Davis didn't actually have to score all that much, but he got his defensive stats. Westbrook was actually not horrible. I know he didn't do much to help, per se, but he wasn't bad. I don't know why the Lakers keep trotting DeAndre Jordan out there for 15 minutes of ball game. That has proven itself to be a bad decision so far. They just keep like trying to will it to be true, and it's it will not be true. I think the only note really is is that with every passing week, with every passing 10 days, the Lakers are going to get a little bit better. 
Call me at Christmas. If this team still looks disjointed and weird on December 25th, I will panic with you. But I don't think that's going to be the case. They're already showing some signs. This ballgame was, to me, showing some signs. Against a Cav team that isn't that bad to start this year. But they, they punked them pretty good in the second half. Without getting to the free throw line. So don't talk to me about that side of the thing. Cavs took 22. Lakers only got 10. And Ricky Rubio got three of them. He is playing great ball off the bench for this Cavs team. Locked and loaded. Rubio has been great. Evan Mobley's been great. Lowry Markinen finally saw a few shots go in yesterday. Didn't get the rebounds of the steals from other games, but got the three balls. Darius Garland double-doubled in what was somewhat, I mean, it was a weird line. He was, it was good, but it wasn't good, good. Like, got three three-pointers, that'll do. Got himself a steal, but missed some shots, six turnovers. It was close to a really good line. Really close. Jared Allen was not as good. This is going to be a tough matchup for him right from the outset, having to deal with LeBron coming at him and Anthony Davis, and then if they wanted to go big, dealing with his former teammate, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard. I don't think big men are going to enjoy playing the Lakers this year. And then the one that really stands out is Colin Sexton, who had 9-3. and three. And three rebounds as well. Two steals, so I guess that's something. But, oh boy, I'm, I, I don't... I'm not trying to pick on Colin Sexton, but he's number 167. I don't know why people keep jumping down my throat about, like, why are you picking on Colin Sexton? It's not picking on the man. It's picking on the fantasy game. He's taking 15 shots a game. It's down because they have more guys now. Mobley is good. Markinen is not good, good, but he's better than what they were trotting out before. And Garland is better. All of the things that allowed Colin Sexton the freedom he had the last two seasons to be that high-efficiency mid-20s scorer, a lot of those are gone. And he was only right around the edge of the top 100 on a per-game basis last year. So I I promise you guys, everything that I've said about him is rooted exclusively in mathematics. Take away any of what he had on the, on the volume side, and his value plummets. And he already, per game-wise at least, wasn't that great. I know I'm the only guy, and this is everywhere. Hoop ball, the rest of the analyst community, like, I, I'm fighting an uphill battle on this one, but over and over, I just said, I don't know how this guy hits his marks unless you're just taking him for the scoring, which, yeah, I get it. It's tough to find a 20-point scorer late, but he was getting drafted at like 65. It wasn't even late anymore. Probably because everybody was like, well, I don't want to let that kind of scoring fall to 100. So he was no longer late points. It just never fully... Made sense in my head on that front. He's not a drop, so I don't want to try to intimate that that's what's going on here. But there's just no upside there. Thanks for listening to these shows every day, everybody. We still have the, the look ahead coming up, but I wanted to remind you guys mid-program. This show, as all of our shows here in the month of October, brought to you by our buddies at Manscaped.com. Use coupon code HOOPBALL20. Get 20% off your order. 
We're the buddies at Manscaped.com. Get the Lawnmower 4.0 or the 4.0 Performance Package, which comes with the lawnmower and all sorts of other goodies. You can get some boxers. I really want them. Manscaped, if you're listening out there, hey, sponsor, send me some boxers. I've worn the same ones for like 20 years. Time for me to get some new ones. Let's get some nice, sweet Manscaped boxers. Although I guess it suggests things that perhaps I don't want suggested. I don't know. Um, either way, I'll do a video pod at some time soon, and I'll show you guys the nice, clean trim I get around my beard, my sideburns, mustache area, all that stuff. Manscaped.com, the pinch-free way to trim your man hair, wherever it may grow upon you. Hoopball 20, 20% off and free shipping. And also, as I do every day, please take a second to rate and review the podcast. If you can pop open that podcast app on your mobile device or iTunes on your computer, uh, search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on the show title, scroll down, drop in that review. I will love you for all time. And I'm going to keep trying to do everything I can on social media and all I ask in return is that you guys take just 90 seconds out of your day, drop a five-star review on Fantasy NBA Today. A bunch of you have done it in the last week, and I am unbelievably grateful about, of that. Someone sent me a note here that says that uh, they're thankful that I helped solve uh, a massive argument about trades. That was uh, DN Ashdown. DNA, I think, is probably the, the joke there. Uh, perhaps 40T says, just found your pot over the last week, enjoying it so far. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Appreciates my professionalism. Ha! <laughs> you guys, you didn't listen to the show back when I had had my first kid a few years ago. I was not professional that year. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, thank you, guys. You guys are, are fantastic. Thank you for doing that. It means the world to me. And, um, yeah, it's how we continue to grow. So thank you. And I, and I hope that uh, doing these 31 shows in 31 days has been useful for you guys as well. By the way, this one from Serenity Nye, I, I don't want it. This is going to make it sound like I'm doing this big-headed thing. But at the end, um, talking says, this, this sounds trivial. This is the last line of it, but you can't undersell good production. So thank you for that. I am an audiophile, and the fact that you appreciate that as well, that's something that I strive for every day on this podcast. By the way, secret to, uh, of the trade is that all of my recording equipment to, together probably cost about 200 bucks. So you don't need like a $3,000 budget to run a, a podcast that actually sounds like a podcast. That said, you may have heard someone wander through the room and grab a roll of tape from right next to me on the counter. That was my wife there hanging Halloween decorations for tomorrow. Uh, quick look ahead for the big card tonight. Today, it's already happening as we record the show. One game at least is underway. We still got a little bit of time before the other ones fire up. Uh, Washington continues to play good basketball. Not a ton that I'm watching for because Marcus Smart is out. He's been dealing with migraines, but I believe this was a an upset tummy. Got an upset tummy. It's one of my least favorite things on earth. Robert Williams also mentioned he's out uh, feeling sickly. So Big Al Horford should be fine. On the other side, you know, Wizards are just playing harder than other people right now. But from a uh, surprises standpoint, I don't expect much in this ballgame. Chumo Kiki back for Orlando. Cade Cunningham back for Detroit. So a lot of things to pay attention to. Feel free to make that game your homework if you want, because Kelly Olynyk is also worth watching. Isaiah Stewart is also worth watching. With Orlando, I don't know that we're going to learn everything we need to know about Okiki. I doubt they play him 32 minutes in his first game. But if he looks good, and we think there's any kind of ramp-up happening, 
then maybe we get out in front of it a little bit. Knicks, perhaps in a letdown spot in New Orleans? We shall see. We've seen some good stuff out of Kemba Walker lately, but not a whole lot to pay attention to there. Hawks at Sixers. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that any one game is really going to change the way I feel about players on either side. I'm becoming annoyed with the Sixers and just trying to isolate the right days to run our fill-ins for Ben Simmons. Just solve it, Philly. It's time. And with Atlanta, same kind of thing. We're watching the wing minutes, but again, I don't know that any one thing happening in this ball game is going to change my opinion all that much. Toronto, Indiana, another opportunity to see how Nick Nurse wants to deploy his front court for the Raptors. For the Pacers, come on, TJ. I'm clapping at you here in my room. Get it going, man. Get the motor going. He doesn't have his motor right now. I really think this offseason screwed everybody up. It wasn't short enough where guys could stay in shape, and it wasn't long enough for everybody to recharge their batteries. It was just the wrong size. Spurs Bucks. I feel like the Spurs have been off for a couple of days. Is that right, or am I losing my mind? Can Devin Vassell take a little step here? I don't know. Utah, Chicago. Does anybody see a marked uptick on the Bulls with now Patrick Williams out for the season? Doubt it. Miami, Memphis. Grizzlies are kind of fun to pay attention to these days. I don't. Again, I don't expect to see many changes there. Thunder, don't expect many changes. Warriors, not many changes. Nuggets, every single day right now is maybe the last day to buy low on Michael Porter Jr. So I would continue to say, try to get it done, especially when they have a game that night. If they weren't playing, you might have an extra day to sort of mull it over or figure out the trade you want to make. But you got to get it, get it going. Minnesota got a big game out of Jared Vanderbilt the last time around, but he and, and Jade McDaniel seem to be sort of flip-flopping what they do on a game-to-game basis. I need to see some real consistency before I drop someone of any value for the Minnesota power forward slot. And then the Cavs on a back-to-back in Phoenix. This is generally a pretty tough scheduling spot. Suns have been listless so far, however, so this may be the battle of the listless in the late game. I'll tell you, we're we're hitting our first, what I, I like to call the fantasy lull of the season, which is great because we still have another six shows in a row to do after this one. This would be a wonderful time to have a two-day break, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. But what I mean by that is teams are settling in now. There's a settling happening. And there's really only like four or five guys in particular. And things will pop up. Guys will get hurt. And so that creates additional storylines. But from a non-injury perspective, there's really only a couple of guys that we're watching closely on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, Toronto has a little bit of that. Denver, mostly because of the Michael Porter Jr. slow start. Orlando has a little bit of that. Detroit. But that's kind of it. Like four out of, what are they, 22 teams playing today? Anyway. All right, let's wrap it up. No reason to go long at the at the back end of this thing. We're 40 minutes into a special Saturday show anyway. Have a lovely Saturday, everybody. We'll get back at you tomorrow. Our last weekend show, probably of the season, I think. We'll see, I guess. What I might do, don't hold me to it. What I might do is that if there's some sort of breaking news, we might add in breaking episodes that we've never done in the past. Just like a 15-minute quick hitter that drops in between other episodes. That might be the way that we sort of cover up the whole uh, 
long gap between shows, especially if there's a weekend and something goes down. But uh, again, don't hold me to that. Want to mention once again, premium subscribers. I host a live Q&A in our premium Fantasy Pass Discord every Monday. And Aaron Bruski is putting out a premium-only podcast. So if you don't have a Fantasy Pass, you can still go get one at hoop-ball.com. If you have a Fantasy Pass, or frankly, any monthly subscription, please hit me up. Let me figure out how to get you into Discord, too. It is the best way to use the thing you're paying for. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Just ask about Discord or the uh, premium subscriptions. Happy to walk you through any of it. And if you want to come work with us here at Hoopball, that's another reason to hit me up on Twitter or via email. Cover a team? Cool. Write fantasy? Great. Run right DFS? Work on sports betting? If you think you can be on the analyst side, holler at me. Okay, that's it. Have a great Saturday, uh, whatever day it is. Have a great first day of your two-day weekend, everyone. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. Later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.